Hey, this is Dewey from Pure Pleasure on Jabberjaw Media. I wanted to tell you guys about the Patreon for the show. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Club, and there's two levels. There's the $5 level and the $10 level. And all this is, guys, is to help support the show, help support the cost of putting the show out, um, you know, time spent uh, building the show, hosting costs, travel costs to do the in-person interviews that you guys like so much. Um, it all costs money. And I always try to find the best deal for sure uh, because I do have a day job as well. But having that support on the Patreon is definitely going to help bring more in-person interviews, more travel, more uh, updated uh, graphics, hosting, websites, all that stuff. So, um, And if you like the show, $5 a month or $10 a month really helps out. I know it's kind of uh, an interesting thing with the Patreon when something's already free. Uh, but it is always going to be free. But if you want to support the show a little bit more, I'd absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can pay either $5 or $10 a month. We'll try to do some special things for the patrons as well as we go. Um, but it's just a way to support the show in a different way. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. That's the most important thing I can ask for. So definitely go over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up today and join the community and help out the show. Keep it growing. And I thank you so much. Hey, my name is Matt Carter, and I'm the host of the Break It Down podcast, which is part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Break It Down is a show that's all about getting to know people who know stuff and to talk about it in depth. That's the way I like to roll, and I believe that's one of the best ways to learn, to be honest, to be genuinely interested and to explore long-form conversation. So listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another Saturday on Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. This week is a huge week for me. Uh, my favorite band of all time, Isis, as a lot of you know, I've talked about it on the show before. We have Aaron Turner from Isis and Sumac, uh, Old Man Gloom, Mammifer. He's from so many projects, Hydrahead Records. Aaron's one of the most prolific people in the music business today and has made some tremendous contributions to music and to, you know, my socialization with music and changing me around from just being a straight up, you know, punk rock kid into, you know, appreciating so many different kinds of music and just looking through, you know, what he's listening to, uh, what he's put out and just, just all around awesome, awesome contribution to music. Aaron's a fantastic guy. We had a great conversation. Um, I will be honest, I was a little nervous going into the conversation. I prepped for days because I, you know, 
when do you have the chance to sit down and talk to someone you admire, um, like you know someone like Aaron that that you look up to in the music business, look up to as a musician, as an artist, and get to spend you know an hour just chatting about whatever. I mean, it's it's just this show has has been so much fun, and having access to do this and a platform to do this and having an audience like you guys to listen to it. I mean, it's a huge deal to me. I take it very seriously. Um, and I appreciate every last one of you listening and I appreciate the guests we have on as well. Um, you know, taking a chance on a show that's growing to put themselves out there in maybe a light that people haven't seen before hearing some personal information or, or personal stories. I mean, it's just really cool to take someone that, that you see from a distance, you see what they put out and see what they let you see. And then you get to talk to them and kind of, you know, open them up a little bit and, and see what's going on. So I think we did a really good job on this uh, conversation with Aaron and, and uh, asking the right questions. And, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it and find something new from it that you haven't heard before. I know he's been interviewed a ton of times. And that's the other difficult part. When someone's been interviewed a thousand times, what do you ask? And, uh, you know, the answer to that for me is I just ask what I want to know. Um, a lot of times I've, I've never heard those questions asked. Or, you know, you go off on a tangent about something and bring something else up as well. So definitely enjoy this episode with Aaron. Uh, we are on PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. Uh, follow us, like us on there. Definitely use the Amazon affiliate link. 4% of anything you buy on that link comes right to the show and doesn't cost you anything extra. So we definitely appreciate seeing those come in. We definitely appreciate you guys using that donate tab. Uh, we don't have a Patreon or anything like that yet. That's something that's in the future. But for right now, we're going to stick with the donate button on the website if you feel the show is worth something to you. Definitely kick something down to there. Help us keep the lights on. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Mr. Aaron Turner from Isis and Sumac. Yeah, exactly. So you're you're up in uh, Vashon. Yes. Okay. How did that move come about for you? I I know you were you were kind of all over the all over the country as far as you know both coasts and and uh, Vashon is just gorgeous. I I mean I can definitely understand why you're there, but but uh, why why in your mind did you go up there? Um, <clears throat> I had been living in Seattle for just about a year, a year and a half. Uh, with my partner, who is now my wife, Faith Colochia. Uh -huh. And uh, she and I um, had come to the shared realization that we just didn't want to live in a city anymore. Um, and uh, that said, we still wanted to have somewhat easy access to uh, the city without having to be right in it. So we started looking around and asking around um, just about what the options were, and there was a few different people that 
mentioned Vashon to us and said that we should just check it out. And we came out here a few times, looked at places that were for sale and places that were for rent, and just decided to do it and see what happened. Um, and uh, we rented for our first few years living here, and the, the first year, honestly, was a bit rough um, in that uh, though I had wanted to be out of the city, the reality of being um, so far out in the sticks uh, was was startling. Um, it was just a, a really drastic change. And it came at a time that a lot of other big changes were happening for me. ISIS was ending. Uh, Hydrahead was about to go through a big transitional shift. Um, and uh, I think all of that sort of coalesced into this really big moment of self-realization that over my first winter in Vashon was kind of terrifying to, <laughs> to, be, to be basically alone and confronted with myself. I mean, I was with my partner, but, you know, it's, it's um, how can I put this exactly? Uh, no one else can deal with your shit for you. So basically I was confronted with a lot of stuff that I had been shoving aside for a long time and, and combined with the isolation of being on Vashon, it was, it was a big slap in the face that ended up being a really good thing, but, uh, it took some getting used to. Um, and by the end of our first year here, we were kind of thinking, well, maybe this isn't right. You know, when the winter was rough, let's think about moving back to the city. And then by the time we were ready to do that, um, we had spent a whole year here and we were like, Hey, maybe, maybe we like it here. And that was the beginning of our deeper entrenchment in Vashon because we've just grown to love it more and more, uh, since having moved here, uh, seven years ago, man. And so that, I mean, that's crazy to me thinking about that transition because, you know, going from big city on the East coast to huge city on the West coast to, another huge city there wasn't much yeah. of a transition at all uh no i i think i was somewhat prepped for it because i'd grown up in a rural area i grew up in santa fe new mexico which is a smaller town and and half the time i lived there was way on the outskirts of town so in in that way it was my background um and that was part of the reason i think it appealed to me but uh just like i said combined with everything else it did take some getting used to again Sure. And I mean, the self-reliance too, a lot of it out there. I mean, is there's probably, I mean, I've been out to Vashon twice, I think, and it was just like random day trips. Like I wasn't even visiting anybody, but take the ferry yeah. over and there's like one grocery store. And, uh, I mean, it was just, it was gorgeous. And, and everyone had told me to go out there and check it out. Um, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, my buddy Tepe from thrice lived out there for a few years. Uh, uh-huh. and, you know, he, he said it was, you know, gorgeous as well. And he's back in Los Angeles now or, or, uh, Irvine, I think, or, or Orange County, one of the two anyway. But, uh, you know, did you find that, you know, some of the more happen to be self-reliant as far as, you know, can't really just cruise down to, to whatever you want to do and, and have to kind of find things to occupy your time? Um, um, the occupying time was never an issue just because I'm a super productive person, almost neurotically so. So that mm-hmm. wasn't really an issue for me. 
the amenities of living in a city were definitely missed at first, like being able to walk to the grocery store and um, walk to a decent coffee place and go out to eat. I mean, that didn't really exist here. Uh, as you said, there's a grocery store here and there's a there's a handful of decent restaurants. Um, but really, there is a much greater degree of self-reliance that uh, you have to have to live here uh, mm-hmm. unless you live right in town. Um, uh, we've, we've figured out ways of doing that. And that again was part of the appeal, um, was we wanted to live a life that was a little bit simpler, uh, mm-hmm. and a little bit slower in its pace because the pace of our work and the, the level of involvement we have in it is so relentless and so demanding um, that to live somewhere where our surroundings are more peaceful um, seemed really appealing. Um, But yeah, there's some stuff that goes on out here that's a little bit different from city living. Uh, We grow food, which you can do in a city, but it's a lot easier when you've got a plot of land to grow a a sustainable amount of food. Um, We heat the house with uh, a fireplace uh, at least half the winter, um, Mm -hmm. or the house is half heated by the fireplace. So growing food and chopping wood and, um, sort of tending to our land is, uh, an activity we like, but, and had to learn. Um, and then there's other stuff too, like, and you know, this kind of thing happens in the city too, but we get power outages here, uh, and they definitely last for a lot longer <laughs> than they typically do in the city. Uh-huh. Uh, that was one of the first, uh, kind of, um, confrontational moments, uh, we had our first winter here. It was, was just being without power and without heat for, you know, well over a week and, uh, of course, that's not like you have to go into full survival mode, but it was it was a wake-up call. It was like, oh, yeah, this really is living in the city, and what do you do when you don't have heat and you don't have the Internet to distract you and you can't get your work done? You're really forced to just contend with yourself um, and contend with your immediate environment, and uh, that there was a learning curve there for sure. Sure. And do you think that brought you and Faith closer together as far as having to rely on each other and you spend so much more time together and, and obviously probably cooking more uh, together or, uh, you know, like you said, you got to chop wood, you got to, you know, take care of the land, you have to, you're growing food, so you have to you know, monitor that kind of stuff. And then both of you are huge, uh, artists. I mean, you have so much going on. Did yeah. it, do you think it strengthened you guys as far as, uh, the relationship goes, uh, being kind of marooned out there? It definitely did. Uh, again, it was a trial by fire though. I mean, we had been together for a year and a half before moving out there, but a lot of that time I had been on tour, uh, or we had been living in the city, so, you know, it was easy enough for us to um, have space from one another and have our own stuff going on, mm-hmm. whereas when we moved to Vashon, it was really like, all right, here here we are, it's you and me, and um, now we're going to really get to know each other. <laughs> uh, and fortunately, we, it turned out that um, we really love to each other was uh, with all of our 
um, assets and our flaws, but it was also like, holy shit, I didn't know this side of you, and now I have no choice but to learn about it. Um, and it definitely did require a lot of work, and again, there was some circumstantial stuff going on. Uh, for me, it was like almost like an identity crisis where it was like the band I had been in for a long time was done. Uh, the label I had been running for a long time wasn't exactly finished, but definitely morphing into a much less active um, version of itself. And so instead of having all these outside factors to kind of show me who I was, I had to figure out who I actually was. Uh, and Faith was a part of that process, um, which uh, was probably good at times and really hard at others, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, in the end, it was really, really good for us, and it taught us a lot about ourselves and about each other and about mature adult partnership, um, what we wanted out of our relationship and what we, um, you know, uh, what we could teach each other um, and there was definitely some practical stuff in there like you mentioned cooking I didn't know how to cook I think after a month or so of living there Faith was like alright you gotta figure this out because I'm not cooking every meal <laughs> and uh, you know that was that. as simple as that sounded it was daunting for me and it's one of those things that you know I really uh did have to spend some time learning and, and figuring out and uh, I, I'm glad that I was kind of thrust into it the way that I was because I don't know that I would have uh, would have picked it up so quickly um, or had the kind of uh, momentum that I did or the incentive to do it um, so yeah I think I think that first year on Bashan really it, it kicked my ass pretty hard um, and I'm very grateful for it because I think I can I grew a lot just in that year and learned a lot about what I what I wanted to do with my life and how I wanted to change my life and what I needed to work on. Yeah, and that's I mean that's fascinating. I mean the the and such a cool story, um, you know, to have have that situation that you you guys put yourselves into and it didn't work out like you thought in the beginning and and like cooking is it just another art form that you've learned how to do now like it's it's just another another tool in the the arsenal you know being yeah with music yeah, for so long and then you know all the the um you know the album artwork and posters and and uh and everything i mean it's just another another medium it is and it's also a life skill and i feel like that's part of that's been part of my evolution into adulthood is acquiring life skills which you can totally ignore if you're living in a city. Um, I mean, you gotta, you gotta know how to, at the very least, pay your bills and drive a car. But beyond that, you're really not required to do very much for yourself. Yeah. Um, and certainly, there's a lot of people who live in cities who are totally self-reliant. But I found it was very easy for me at the times where I was living in big cities to just rely on the convenience of being in those places and also rely on the distractions of being in those places. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always, you can always go and see someone. You can always spend time with friends. You can always go out and, you know, just be uh, amongst people. Um, and, and while social contact is important, uh, 
Um, I also feel like being able to spend time alone is really important creatively, and it's also important on a personal level because uh, uh, it's easy to just run away from who you are and what's inside if you've always got stuff from the outside to keep you stimulated. Sure, and you're going to react to things the same way you always have and without a true sense of self behind your actions and, and what you create. And and I wanted to, to talk about the one thing you brought up there. Kind of everything was somewhat imploding for you as you made this move. Um, you know, like you said, ISIS was ending. Um, when you, so, I mean, ISIS was touring a lot, so you always had, you know, somewhere to be, something to do. Um, how did that feel? You went out to Vashon and the band's ending. Did you think I'm not going to tour anymore? Did you think it's going to be at least, you know, a year or two before I'm really solidly touring and something I'm going to start? Um, did you have, uh, I know you had, you, know, you have all these smaller projects, but as far as like a main focus, like ISIS was for a while there, um, you know, was that kind of helping with the implosion there as far as feeling isolated and maybe like what's next? Uh, I didn't have a, a really clear picture about everything, all the details of my life, but I did know a couple things with certainty. One was I really needed a break from heavy touring. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't think that I was just going to stop touring altogether, but I knew that I needed to stop being on the road for, you know, four to six months out of the year. Um, I had gotten to a point where I didn't feel like I was a musician anymore. I just felt like I was a performer, mm -hmm. just, you know, recreating the same thing over and over again. And that was part of the, the big, um, the big pitfall for me personally in ISIS is I just felt like there was so little time to actually make new music, both in ISIS and with other projects because so much time was spent being on the road. And it's not just the days on the road that get taken out of your life, it's all the stuff that surrounds it, preparing to leave for tour, recovering when you get back from it, um, doing all the other stuff that it takes to get out on the road, like dealing with travel details and making merch and all that. And while you know, early on all that stuff was totally energizing. Later on it became really draining and I felt like it was preventing me from growing as much as I wanted to and needed to as as a as a musician. Mm -hmm. um, I did keep somewhat active with other projects, um, to varying degrees during the lifespan of ISIS. Uh but I, especially in the later years, I just started to feel like this, this has taken over all my time. We've gone in a, in a direction that I'm not necessarily 100% um, into, and I feel like I'm, my creative self is being stifled by this rather than energized by it. Uh, so that was part of the point of going out to Vashon was just to be, to be able to you know have some downtime and figure out what i wanted to do and how i wanted to do it uh when i came out here faith and i were already doing mammifer together she had mm -hmm. started it some years before and i was sort of an auxiliary member at first and then became a full-fledged member of the band um not so much in terms of songwriting but just as a creative partner offering my um 
assistance for whatever was needed and also input when it was asked for. So in that way, Mammifer became my somewhat of my focus uh, when I moved here and then um, ongoing. Uh, we did not a huge amount of touring, but we did some stuff every year. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that appealed to me about Mammifer that was different from what I had been doing prior was that it was really open in the sense that there wasn't a fixed uh, lineup. We could play as a duo, Faith could uh, play solo shows, we could expand and contract the membership according to our needs for both the studio and the road, and that felt really liberating just to feel like, okay, the music tells us what we need to do and who needs to be involved mm-hmm. uh, rather than having a, a committee of people that you know all needed to be heard and all needed to be um, considered every time a decision was made whether it was practical or artistic mm-hmm. uh, so that that was a, a totally new thing for me um, though I had done some other collaborations and, and some solo stuff Mammifer really was so different in so many ways for me that uh, I think it it helped me um, kind of it well it definitely helped me grow as a musician um, instead of being the leader of something or an equal contributor I was the uh, I was part of the support system and that helped me learn how to take creative cre- uh, creative criticism better um, it made me a better listener um, and having to learn so much of somebody else's music um, broke away a lot of my old patterns too because it was forcing me to hear and play differently um, so that that was definitely a big um, a big and important parallel event that, that happened with the transition to Vashon that is huge uh, yeah, huge transition sure. um, and then doing that was uh was again open enough that um, it allowed me to do some other things some collaborations that weren't um, like structured band stuff it allowed me to have time to um, uh, get going with old man gloom again which Mm -hmm. was fun because i still had an outlet for doing heavy stuff but it wasn't um you know it wasn't a full-time thing uh, and it was also a band that could just kind of pick up and drop stuff whenever we felt like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of that was uh, good for me just to keep going and um, keep having things to work on and focus on uh, and um, allow me to have some time, again, to kind of figure out how and what I wanted to do moving forward in terms of being in a band again or not or being and starting uh, being in and starting my own band which is eventually what happened with Sumac. Okay. And with with you've mentioned before I've read some stuff here and there about, you know, uh, anxiety and and we we talked a little bit about, you know, going when you went out there finding yourself and kind of dealing with things that you'd been not hiding but, you know, maybe running from or or suppressing with, you know, uh, having all the access to everything. When you started Sumac, you know, you started Sumac with some players that are extremely active in other projects. Um, you know, was that a conscious decision as far as 
you know, my next group is going to be, you know, uh, active members of other bands. So it's not a full-time thing, like a, a way to kind of force yourself to not be, um, tied down to that. Is that something that maybe created some anxiety with ISIS where you were talking about coming to a point where, um, you know, things weren't a hundred percent what you wanted. Um, was that, was that anxiety involved in that or, or was that a conscious decision to, um, bring those guys on, um, as a, as a kind of a side project, I guess. Um, well, I'll address the ISIS thing first. Uh, the, the level of obligation that we came to operate on, um, was problematic for me where it got, you know, we got to the point where nobody was working other jobs and we had to tour a certain amount of the year in order to support the collective. And, um, it was great that we were able to make a living from music because that's awesome. That's a cool, a cool place to get to. Uh, and I think everybody was glad that we were able to do that for a number of years. At the same time, that was never the goal when we started the band. We just wanted to make music uh, that we were excited about and that we felt um, collectively uh, invigorated by and connected to. Um, so uh, when it got to the point where uh, people were starting to say things like, well, we need to do this tour um, with the implication that we need to do this tour because we need money, mm-hmm. um, not because we want to, that started to feel not so great. Um, and uh, I had a lot of ideological internal conflict about that because um, like I said that was never the goal in the beginning the goal was to make music for the sake of making music Mm -hmm. and to play music live was important because um, the act of connecting with other people through uh, through playing music was really um, it was really important and it felt um, it always felt like this monumental, sometimes spiritual experience. Uh, and I found that the more we toured, the less, uh, the less profound the experience of playing live became. And I, I got jaded to it. And I also think that all of us having to spend so much time together really wore down the friendships that the band, the band had been based around in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that stuff kind of, that, that stuff crept up on us. I, I think we didn't even realize what was happening as these, as the rigidity of these patterns was setting in until all of a sudden it got to the point where it was like, at least for me, I was like, holy shit, I'm just not enjoying this anymore. And though I know these guys are my friends uh, on an intellectual level, I'm not enjoying being around them all the time anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so that kind of, that level of obligation and, and, and basing uh, creative activities around what our actually monetary needs, uh, I think really compromised the, the basic purpose of playing music for me um so that was all of that was in the back of my mind when i started sumac um i wanted to 
I, I wanted to play music again in a band. I knew that having in this in this uh, context having a consistent or at least semi-consistent membership was going to be important in terms of being able to play the kind of music I wanted to play. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew it was going to be complex music that would require slow development and good interband uh, creative chemistry. Uh, the other thing I knew was, uh, though I wanted it to be an active band and to record and, and play regularly, I knew I never wanted it to get to the level that ISIS had of touring all the time. Mm -hmm. um, that said, neither none of those factors had a bearing on who I chose to play with. That was all based around um, finding the people who I felt fit what I had in my head um, in a really uh, exciting and interesting way. Like I, I, I basically wanted to find the perfect players to make this music that I was uh, theorizing um, at the time that I started uh, thinking about doing a band again. And Nick was the, the, the first drummer that I saw once I started actively looking for a drummer that really um, was intriguing to me. And I didn't know him at all. Uh, and that factor was a little bit daunting because I didn't feel entirely comfortable just, you know, uh, jumping into something with someone that I didn't know. Um, although, of course, the first few times we played together, there was no there was no idea of commitment. It was more just like, hey, let's do this and see what happens. Mm -hmm. But still, most of the people I've ever played music with have been people that I knew as friends prior to actually do anything, doing anything together, so this was kind of an exception. Uh, Brian, on the other hand, was sort of the opposite uh, in that I had known Brian for a very, very long time. Um, he and I had, had made music together. He had been on quite a few of the Mammifer recordings um, that we made over the years and we had also just casually talked about doing a project together at some point uh, mm -hmm. but the opportunity never really presented itself until I started Sumac uh, and I, I said to Brian I know you're doing Russian circles and I know that that is, uh, is and will be your, your primary focus um, but I would also really like you to participate in this if you're interested in it and fortunately uh, he was. Um, he was up for it. Uh, so that's kind of how all the pieces fell together. Um, in some way, it is good that, uh, especially in the case of Brian, that he's so busy with other stuff because we can't fill up our calendar with things to do. Mm -hmm. um, and even though Nick isn't quite as busy, he's got quite a few musical projects going at any given time. Um, so it, it, there is a kind of a a safeguard in place there where we actually couldn't tour all the time and though I often try to keep my impulses in check I will often say yes to everything mm -hmm. which is occasionally very problematic so uh, you know this is a good thing to play with other people who can't say yes to everything or don't want to say yes to everything in mm -hmm. fact this came up uh, a week or two ago where we had gotten a couple offers to do things and uh, everybody couldn't do it, and I ended up being thankful for that. I was like, yeah, you know, sometimes I need a break, and even just 
you know, uh, one-off show takes a lot out of you because you still got to do the same level of prep that you would for a tour in terms of practicing and making all the peripheral arrangements. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think ultimately the most important thing is that we work together very well as a musical unit and we get along very well on a personal level. Um, and that's really kind of the most important thing for how Sumac uh, is allowed to operate. Okay. And that's, I mean, it just seems like a really organic way to do things. And, and uh, you know, one thing I've always admired from following, I mean, I came to ISIS late. Uh, well, I guess not late. I came in around Oceanic. Um, uh, I was introduced to it by a buddy of mine named Aaron Edge. Um, I don't know if you guys know each other, but... Yep, he, I know Aaron. Okay, perfect. Well, he introduced me to Baptists and ISIS. So uh, uh, he was playing Oceanic when he did our... Uh, he was doing our album artwork, and we went over to his house, and I was like, what is this? And he's like, oh, dude, it's the new ISIS. And I was like, who? And uh, I, I was just kind of grooving on it for a while, and, and we left on tour, and I picked up Oceanic at uh, Amoeba Records. And uh, uh, at that time, I still had a Discman and everything else. So, um, you know, I had been jamming that. And uh, we ended up touring with a band called This Day Forward, which has a, a buddy of mine, Colin, from Circus Survive, um, who I had been talking about ISIS with. And he's like, oh, check this out. He's got a uh, mosquito control tattoo on his leg. And he's like, yeah, I, you know, those guys are great. So I got more and more into it. And uh, it, it would be years before I saw you guys live. And uh, I was working at a venue in Portland called Loveland at the time. And I was a production manager there. And you guys were coming through. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. And I, what I remember most is you guys pulled up in two vans and no uh-huh. trailer. And I, I, that's the only time I've met you. And it was very brief. But I was like, man, two vans. Like, yeah, it's way safer than touring with a trailer. Uh, yeah. You know? And I was like, that is genius. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just these funny things. But but then I got to watch Soundcheck and I was like, holy shit, man, this is massive. And and I was just I was a total gear nerd and everything else. So I'm checking out pedals and stuff. And and then once the show started, I told my boss, I was like, dude, I'm watching this show. Like someone else can do my job tonight. I won't get paid. I don't care. And uh, uh, <laughs> I remember uh, there's the ending of So Did We. Yeah. And this and. I literally, and I tell this to people all the time when they ask me, you know, the stuff I'm into and, and good experiences at concerts. And <laughs> I swear to God, I felt the earth shift when that uh-huh. kicked in. And, you know, Aaron was always telling me they are so, he has tinnitus. I think from one of your guys' shows is when it finally started to kick in that he, that he was just this squealing in his ear. And he always talked about that. And uh, so before the show, I had bought one of those earplug containers you guys it was genius merch. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had those in, and I literally felt the earth shift, and I just closed my eyes and literally just kind of leaned on someone and just let it hit me. And uh-huh. that completely changed the way I looked at music and, you know, artwork in general. Like, there was just so much behind everything. Um, it, you know, so much uh, – it was just pure. Like, it was pure sound. Like, the the tone, just feeling the wind from the amps, like – there was nothing more pure than that that I'd seen live. And from that point on, I was always following what was going on. And uh, what came up in my mind when you were talking earlier about, you know, these obligations and things like that, I remember reading an article, uh, or maybe it was a message board or something. You guys had got offered a tour with Tool, but you were still finishing a record, and you turned it down. 
to finish the record. And I, I'm pretty sure that's what, the way it happened. But I thought the integrity behind that was so huge. Like, you didn't just bail and go, oh, wait, we're never going to get this tour again. We have to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But then eventually you did. And I saw that show, too. And that was, I mean, that that kind of things following you guys around, uh, you know, on, uh, you know, through articles and interviews just solidified, you know, um, the way I felt about, you know, what you guys were doing. And uh, so I really appreciate that part. I wanted to put that out there. Uh, it was one of those, you know, few experiences that, that really changed my view on things and, and artwork in general and music and, and integrity. And uh, so... Well, that's, de- that's definitely nice to hear. And I feel like, uh, though, you know, I talked about the kind of obligations that we started to, to set for ourselves... Um, I think we mostly avoided some of the pitfalls that I was really afraid of, which are things like touring with bands that we didn't really like, um, you know, getting to the point where we were making records that were just, um, that we were not fully invested in. And um, I think that maintaining our integrity in that way was really crucial, not only for us, um, as a collective, but also just in terms of whatever level of success we did have. I think the, the reason we made some kind of impact was because we were genuinely invested in what we were doing emotionally and mentally and uh, in terms of our uh, the, the dedication of time and energy. Um, so it's always nice to hear when, you know, people had experiences that, you know, um, that were powerful and where that that um, that dedication on our part and the, the energy there came across in the way that we intended it to absolutely it absolutely did and I mean it's it's something to this day I still think about every once in a while just I mean when I think back at at my days when I went to shows all the time and everything else and touring and how things felt like a job for me too up there on stage until we did our first international tour and it felt new again. I literally yeah. felt alive the first we hit Germany and I was like, holy fuck, there's people in Germany. This is sold out. What is going on? Yeah. This is crazy. And But in the States, it just felt like a job. Like, oh, here's your day yeah. sheet. Here's how many people bought pre-sale. Here, you know, it was just, yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, uh, I, I think that there's something to be said for having good experiences and using those as a as a measuring stick in a way um it shouldn't be based around the idea of trying to recreate the same experience over and over again more just that you know when something feels right and that was kind of how i figured out um that i needed to stop doing isis or or stop participating in ISIS Mm -hmm. just didn't feel like what I knew was um, was right for me as an artist and I knew also just that the people in the band were really important to me as friends and I didn't want to feel like they were co-workers that I was starting to harbor grudges and resentment against Um, and going back to what we were talking about with Sumac when I was thinking about starting that band, I was using some of my experience in ISIS as a way to gauge 
if I was on the right path or not. And by that, I mean, I remembered what it felt like to, to be in ISIS at the moments that it was really at its best, where um, everybody seemed to be on the same page creatively. And there was this kind of telepathic energy that started to circulate when the music was, was being played and being written. And that was really what I was seeking with Sumac was to find people that I could um, conjure up that kind of energy with again, and also to write music that um, that felt that way, even if it didn't necessarily sound the same. In fact, it was important to me that it didn't sound the same. Um, so, yeah, I think those kind of really formative, powerful experiences are always a good way to, to figure out whether I'm on the right path or not, um, because there is a kind of ecstatic feeling that comes from musical creation that I feel like should always be present. And the further I move away from that feeling the the worse i start to feel so mm -hmm. anytime a, a musical project starts to 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 dwindle in that way where it just doesn't feel like i'm i'm captivated by it and i and it's not drawing my attention in a way that feels like i'm just firmly um anchored to the 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 present moment while it's happening and my mind starts to drift onto other things those are usually keys that either something is off with me or something is off with the music and i need to to recalibrate yeah absolutely that's i mean and that's a big deal i mean being able especially playing the same songs every night you know uh, you know with a structured band that you know this comes in here this comes in here being able to be present and appreciate what's going on and and uh, I ask a lot of people that, how present they are on stage, if it's more muscle memory, um, you know, or if they're fully engaged. And yeah. that's something that, you know, with your projects I've always seen is, is just full engagement. And uh, it's, it's inspiring to see, but at the same time, it's, it's also, um, you know, I guess inspiring is the word for it because it's, it's watching someone be fully engrossed in something they've created and it's not just a you know oh we're playing houston tonight and we're playing here tomorrow yeah. um you know you know you're getting a a true experience and it's like watching an art show like it's being created all these textures in front of you and with sumac one thing when i went into sumac when the record came out i was the first record came out i was like okay what is this going to be you know how is this going to sound i had all these expectations and then it just shattered all of them it was like man this is completely different than what i thought and uh Again, that's something I I really appreciated too, is because I know some of the other guys when they went on to do I think that Palms record I think I pre-ordered that and and heard it and I was like man it sounds a lot like ISIS and uh, with a different singer and just the, I, I don't know if it was the bass tone with the chorus uh, effect or or what it was that had that had chimed that in to me that it, this really sounds like the way ISIS was going. And then yeah. Sumac completely just turned the tables, and it was great. I was just I was so overjoyed with that because I was like, man, another true, really true uh, expression. Um, and I wanted to ask you when you're. I know it depends on the project, but when you're writing music, like especially now being out in the woods, I mean, do you 
do you take in your environment um, and let that affect your your creative output, or do you have more of a uh, beginning to end um, vision, I guess, when you're starting a song? Uh, I think I think the the process of creation for me has, uh, works on a couple different levels. One is there has to be some clear intention on my part in that I want to have at least a basic idea of how the music should be, um, whether, and there's a lot of factors involved in that. Is it going to be improv? Is it going to be structured? What's the instrumentation? Who else is involved? All that kind of stuff. And then the other factor of it is, um, I would say, much more based off of intuition. Um, in that I, once I've established like some kind of parameters, uh, then I kind of let the music uh, dictate the course. Um, another way I like to think of that is, uh, I feel like a lot of songs may, they feel to me as if they're pre-existent and that I just have to, I have to somehow discover them. Or um, another way of putting it would be like there's a musical energy that exists or a creative energy that exists and I can harness that and filter that through my own sensibilities and so that's kind of how I always approach uh, working on on any musical project or even visual art project where you know I want to have an idea of where it's going to go but I also want to leave myself very open to a dialogue with the work itself where I can hear it as it's coming out and I can respond to it in a way where um, you know I, I I feel like I'm listening instead of um, you know uh, really being very controlling about what's coming out and that's that, that's a fascinating way of looking at it that's completely another direction than I thought things would go it's kind of a Nietzschean uh, uh, the, the fact that everything's happened a million times over because there's a finite number of molecules and things like that where you're talking about how the song is there, it, you just haven't discovered it yet. That's yeah, that's I, fascinating. I've, I've talked about it with um, Nick quite a bit because uh, we talk about the songwriting process a lot as it's happening. Not so much at, when we're actually putting it together. Uh, that part of it is very nonverbal in an interesting way, but mostly during the process of uh, writing and recording demos um, that I end up sending to him. We, I, we've talked a lot about how a song will tell you whether it's right or wrong, and then when you're listening to it, um, you're listening back to it, you can, you can hear what needs to be different. And for me, it's always like uh, finding the way to make all these musical shapes um, finding the right arrangement for all these musical shapes, the way in which they all fit together that has a kind of clarity and purpose and um, uh, I don't even know what the right word for it is because I don't, I feel like in, in this way there isn't language for this and that's why the music exists because it, 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 it's something that exists outside of words. Yeah, um, and it does. Music truly does there's just a sense of rightness 
when I when I finish something or when I get to the point that I think it's finished, I, it just feels like there is nothing else that can be added to this. There is nothing else that can be taken away. This is the shape that it needs to have. Um, and, uh, you know, that shape can change in that, um, you know, like in the case of Sumac, there's all these passages where they're kind of open-ended, um, but everything are, that's around those uh, around those malleable uh, malleable forms kind of helps shape those as well, or at least gives them a, a springboard to to work from or move move forward from. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that is uh, that is something that you know I'm sure a lot of people uh, aspire for as far as getting. Uh, getting to that point where they feel completely comfortable and completely content with what they've done and don't don't uh, uh, tinker with it, you know, when it's after it's finished. But with you guys having room for improv and everything else, I mean, you can change it up enough to keep um, feeling like you're doing something new, especially on tour, you know, night after night um, with a general, I'm sure a general idea of a set list or a, a way things want to go. With Sumac, do you guys do that? Do you sit down and make a set list, or do you guys kind of have, um, I guess, reference points where we want to start here and we want to end here, but how we get there is up to us? Um, we usually have a set list, but within each of the songs, there's definitely points where it becomes totally indeterminate as far as what's going to happen, and I think that that is really crucial. And mm-hmm. that balance of structure and freedom is... Um, is really important to keep the songs alive, um, to, to, uh, allow them to constantly change and grow and, and, um, evolve from one iteration to the next. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, I think there is a fine line between when it comes to structural, uh, stuff that is structured, um, a fine line between, know creating some fixed patterns and then going too far to the point that something just becomes dead through being overwrought and overthought Mm -hmm. Um, and again that was definitely something that started to happen for me with some of the ISIS stuff where we were spending so long in the studio and and changing little things here and there that the original form started to disappear and the original energy got completely diluted um, so for me at this particular point, uh, I'm still trying to find the right balance between, um, forethought, uh, and spontaneity. Okay. And I think, I mean, I think you're on the right path here and, and, uh, you know, the trajectory you're on is, is, you know, inspiring as well. I mean, just going somewhere out of your comfort zone, having a general idea of what you want to do and then getting to where you want to be. I mean, that's, I mean, you can't get any better than that. And, and I wanted to, uh, we have a few minutes left. I wanted to talk about, you're a dad now. And I wanted to yeah. see as a creative in the very sense of the word, you know, having a child, how has that changed your outlook on, on life or music or art, um, or your purpose? I mean, on this, uh, on this spinning rock. I think my, my purpose has been changed in that my number one priority now is being a dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in one way, I don't see that as separate from 
from who I was before. It's kind of an extension of it. To be a good dad, I have to be in touch with myself. I have to, um, to put it in kind of a cliched way, I have to honor my soul. If I'm not doing what makes me happy, I'm not going to be a good father for my child, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to set a good example for him. So uh, this is all a, a process of, of rebalancing, figuring out how I can be present for him, how I can give him my time, how I can uh, co-partner in a really loving and connected way with my wife and also reprioritize what I'm doing creatively. So I'm making the best use of the time that I do have outside of my role as a hands-on parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of ways, it is a life-changing event, but it's also maybe more specifically a life-expanding event in the sense that all the things I felt before feel I feel even more sharply now. Um, I feel um, even more deeply the preciousness of life, how every moment is, uh, is not to be wasted, and um, how being present in my life is so absolutely crucial. If I'm thinking about the future or worrying about the past, I'm going to miss out on what's happening right in front of me. Um, And I think I was pretty committed to a practice of um, self-discovery even before our son was born, but that's even more important to me now. I, I need to continue working on the old baggage and crap that I've been carrying around you know, for most of my life so that I don't hand it down to him and mm-hmm. so that it doesn't, um, you know, pollute our household. And while I can't be perfect in that regard, I think that this this process of, of purposeful and intentional um, self-directed evolution is is a, is a goal for me. And it's um, it's it's integral for me as a creative person and as a parent. Um, and I, I will also say that I, I feel even more um, certain about the fact that being creative is really important now that I am a dad. I think it's one of the things that makes us so interesting as beings is that we can create and that we can think on a creative level. And that's definitely something I want to pass down to him. Um, I don't care, you know, whether... You know what he ends up doing is not crucial to me, but just the general, um, the general uh, practice of being a creative person and making creativity an integral part of life is something that I want to impart to him. How, however, it may manifest in his own life down the road, um, I think it's a thing that that really connects people, and it can, it can articulate things that are otherwise uh, un, we're, that we're otherwise unable to speak or write mm-hmm. um, all of my I shouldn't say all but most of my really profound moments of feeling connected to other people have come through creativity and so uh, you know I feel like that's that's really something that um, changed my life and I hope to be able to pass down to him in, in one way or another. And he's going to, he's going to see, he's going to have such a huge catalog of dad's life, where you were, when, what you were feeling, what you were seeing. I mean, 
he can go in a record store and see these album <laughs> covers. You mean he can? And one day, I'll say it right now. One day, he's going to listen to "So Did We" and he's going to feel the same thing I did. And you know, uh, uh, and he's going to be like, "Maybe Dad maybe, just I, kicked my ass uh, musically." <laughs> yeah, I, maybe I, I almost, in some way, hope that he thinks what I do is lame, <laughs> in the way that like I don't. Uh, I, I feel like it can be hard for a child to try to follow in the footsteps of a parent. And we've got so many examples of, of creative casualties where that's happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, I hope more than anything, both Faith and I offer him an example of parents who uh, balance responsibility with uh, doing what they needed to and were compelled to do. Because whatever it is that people do in their lives, whether it's music or you know, architecture or landscaping or whatever it is, mm-hmm. if, if people find what it is that they're passionate about and they follow it with sincerity and integrity, I think that that is crucial to them being happy and them being productive members of society and having a world where people are um, able to be connected with and empathetic to other people because they are respecting and honoring their their own individual selves. So more than whatever legacy Faith and I may have, I hope that we can just pass that on to him, like being true to yourself and, and living life according to that premise. Sure, and that's, I mean, but having that having that body of work, too. I mean, when you guys are gone, like I saw this, this podcast, too, like it's something my kids can listen to later and hear my voice, you know, hear who I was talking to, what I was thinking, and, and uh, you know, it's super important to, to have those, those pieces um, to go back to. But like you said, I, I totally agree with you that, that uh, you know, he'll become what he becomes, and hopefully it's something that just makes him happy, you know, it may be, maybe he'll play, you know, professional soccer, maybe he'll be an architect, you know, you never know. Yeah. And, and you guys yeah. are doing, you know, from what you're telling me, I mean, you have a great job doing that and it's such a cool place to grow up with seasons and nature. And yeah, uh, totally. you can kind of create your own, uh, you know, atmosphere, which is, you can't necessarily do in the city. You have your little box in the city, but but the way you guys are going now and having that time to find yourself and deal with things before the baby came, um, I'm sure put you in a much stronger place. Um, I, I hope so. And Faith and I both grew up in areas where we kind of had to make our own world and make our own fun. And I think that that was um, really important in terms of our development as creative, creative people. Um, I think that that kind of development of the interior world can happen anywhere but i was really glad as a child to have it happen in a place where i was also connected to the natural world around me and um we're hoping that that's something he'll connect with as he grows up uh, as well sure and that's amazing i mean and and uh, aaron i really appreciate you coming on the show and and uh this was a really fascinating conversation for me i had two pages of notes i didn't even look at or even touch on because it was just a nice organic conversation and, and, uh, I think we touched on some cool stuff and, and, uh, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to spend that with me here. So, um, no problem. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. You're welcome, man. And good luck to you and faith and your boy and, and, uh, tour next week and, uh, just keep on doing what you're doing, man. Not a problem. Awesome. Thanks brother. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was my conversation with Aaron Turner from Isis and Sumac, Hydrahead Records, and Mammifer. A million different projects, like I said before. Definitely check him out. 
He is on all the social media sites, and you can check out all his bands. Definitely go on Spotify or, or definitely buy the records. He does a lot of vinyl releases and everything else. And Mammifer with his wife, Faith, uh, is an awesome band. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. And that's uh, something that he's been doing in between Sumac and everything else, as we talked about in the, the conversation you just heard. So we are on PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. Give us a like, a share, anything that the social media lets you do to promote the show. Tell a friend if you like the show. Last week was Emily Heller, a hilarious comedian uh, and TV writer that you should definitely go check out if you did not hear it last week. And coming up next week, we have another great guest for you as well. Definitely check out the website for that information. And as always, we will see you on the radio. Hey, my name is Matt Carter, and I'm the host of the Break It Down podcast, which is part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Break It Down is a show that's all about getting to know people who know stuff and to talk about it in depth. That's the way I like to roll, and I believe that's one of the best ways to learn, to be honest, to be genuinely interested and to explore long-form conversation. So listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com.